Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. Amen, amen. Good morning, church. Hey, at least we got one more hour of 2020. Uh, <laughs> oh, that wasn't funny, was it? Um, and hope everybody did have a good start uh, this morning, and we got an extra hour of sleep, so we are uh, good to go. That means I get an extra hour of preaching. Um, so I'm going to attempt more verses than I have attempted in a little while, so we're going to see how far we get. We're going to be in First Peter uh, chapter number 1, and we're going to see if we can get from uh, verse 17 to verse 25 uh, today. And, you know, as we start out, I, I did figure out that there were a few things that uh, this morning I, I, we were able to get our clocks. Actually, they kind of automatically set now, which is really cool. You just kind of wake up and everything is just right. But uh, our little dog, uh, we didn't figure out how to set his clock. And somehow, we got a corona dog, that's what I call it. It's like when, when I was kind of weak in the midst of that, and they're like, we're home all the time. You know, the kids kind of get at your heart. And because I love them so much, I said yes. And so, so we have this little dog. And, and I'll just tell you, I, I've always had kind of a fear. Uh, you know, you see those guys in their big trucks, and, um, and they're driving down the road, and they have a dog that's about this long somehow in their lap. I would look at them and I'd say, there's no way that'll ever happen for me. Anyway, let's uh, move on. So, so about four this morning, he, his clock was still on uh, old time, so we'll see how we can work on that. But I always had that fear. You know, I was thinking about fears this morning, and I, I looked up, and there's a lot of different fears you can find on the Internet. I, I looked up and Googled uh, some different things, and I, I found a few. One of them uh, was Cathis phobia, which is the fear of sitting. <laughs> Never knew there was anything like that. Uh, the next one, middle school boys kind of go through a little season where they have this fear. It's uh, blutophobia. It's the fear of bathing. I noticed that on some youth trips. It's actually one of those times that you're glad social distancing is a thing, right? Because you're like, I'm, yeah. I, I saw another one that was kind of interesting. There was uh, uh, trophanophobia. Now, this is an extreme fear of hypodermic needles, right? Now, I know uh, one, of, one of our deacons, he, he is very uh, afraid of those. I, I've, I've been in hospital visits with him, and all of a sudden, there's this moment. Others of you that say, you know what, I'm not a fan uh, of that. Like, my daughter, when she was little, could see the needle and be like, ah! I mean, it, it was serious. I mean, I, I videoed some of those. I did not get permission to share them, so I won't. But it was awesome. But, but I've seen people, they pull it out, and they're like, whoo, whoo, I'm about to go down, you know, because they see that kind of thing. Uh, here's one that is kind of interesting in this time. It's uh, halitophobia. Now, this is really important in this time. So if, if you've got your mask, I, I just recommend, I'm going to give kind of like some advice. This is, this is fear of uh, bad breath. And so, so what I figured out when, I mean, there's a lot of times I didn't even know I had bad breath. I'd be like, whoa, let me get a mint, right? And so I kind of developed that fear when these things came out. Um, palatophobia, that's fear of baldness. I used to be afraid of that. I'm no longer afraid. Um, like, I'm good on that. Um, you can also be fear of bald people. So I hope my wife doesn't get that, right? Of course, I can grow some just around the edges. Like, if y'all need any. Oh, sorry. Um, now, a lot of these fears, they're kind of silly. Um, and and the kind of the thoughts of them are pretty silly uh, when we think about these kind of things. But as we dig in today... Um, we're going to talk about a fear that is missing 
in our culture. Um, we're going to talk about a fear that is a completely different type of fear than any of these things. We're going to talk about a fear that I believe in many ways is missing in the lives of followers of Jesus Christ, those that profess to call themselves Christians that really don't display lives that are evidence of this fear. It is because of this lack of fear that we see unbelievers live with their eyes set on the sinful things of this world um, and their hearts completely turned from Christ. In Romans chapter 3, I love uh, just this chapter, and it just reminds us of just the guilt of the world, right? How before a holy God, we all stand guilty, both Jew and Gentile. And I'm going to read just a few verses. They won't be on the screen. Um, but uh, just if you want to turn to Romans chapter 3, I want to give you just a little bit of a picture. And as we think about these verses, I'm reminded that apart from Christ, we are worse off than we think, right? We are in worse shape than we even understand. And as we look at the cross of Christ, we are more loved than we could imagine. And beginning in maybe verse 10, Scripture says, uh, there is none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become useless. There's none who does good. There's not even one. I want you to listen to the strong language. He said, their throat is an open grave. With their tongues, they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their past and in the past. And the past of peace they have not known. And Look at verse 18. My heart just kind of stirred to this verse as I was thinking about just the culture that we live in, just this world that we live in. And it says there's no fear of God before their eyes. And we look at the, the brokenness of this world and we can see people pursuing their own sinful ways and we see the result of that in uh, just this culture in this world. Uh, as we've been walking through First Peter, we uh, have seen Peter writing to uh, this group of scattered believers and uh, they're facing persecution, they're facing difficult uh, things to come and he is writing to encourage them and he's given them uh, some imperatives. First he said uh, that the great news is that you've been born again into a living hope. Right? And I love uh, that thought, that we've been born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. You know, when we think about the return of Christ and we think about, uh, man, all that is prepared for us, we, we see that, man, we've been born again into a living hope, to a res uh, 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 an inheritance that's undefiled, reserved in heaven, kept in heaven uh, by Him. We see just this incredible promise that we have. In verse 13, uh, Peter says, hey, we want to fix our hope uh, on the return of Christ. We want to fix our hope on the glory that is to uh, be revealed, right, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so he gives us this command that we are to be a people who have hope. We are to be a people who uh, hope in Christ. The second thing that we see is that we're to be a people not only that walk in hope, but a people that walk in holiness. We're to be uh, characterized. Followers of Jesus Christ should be characterized by the pursuit of holiness that we have in our lives. And then today, beginning in verse 17, we're going to see that Peter charges them with another command, and that is that they would walk in fear. And when we think about this picture of fear, I want to challenge you that we might walk in reverent fear in awe of our great God. Look at me, look with me in verse 17, 1 Peter chapter number 1. We begin here, and he says, If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during 
the time of your stay on earth. So he starts out and he says, if you address as Father. And so there's this picture, and today we're going to uh, take communion together as the family of God. And, and I would say to you, if you have been born again into a living hope, if there's been a time in your life where God has saved you, that you have uh, repented of your sin and has placed your faith in Christ, then we want to invite you to take part in that time with us. And Peter is writing, and it's this examination, and he says, if you address as Father. And so he, he says, if you have faith in Christ, and his desire would be that the answer would be yes. And he says, if you address as Father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work. So, so there's this picture of Father, and there's this picture of judge. And so there's this tenderness and this beauty of, of God as Father, and it's mingled in, and it's, it's, it's mingled together with his judgment. And as a result of that, there's this reverent fear that we have uh, for God. And he says that, that there's this reverent fear that we're to live our lives in, and he says we're to conduct ourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Now, I notice in here that it's very evident that he's wanting us to understand that, that we are exiles, right? We see uh, just this reminder that there's a time that we uh, stay uh, here Now, we have a responsibility in that time that we would honor and that we would revere God as Father, uh, that we would uh, love Him in such a way that we would have this reverence for Him. I, I hope that my kids uh, don't just obey me out of fear of consequences or things in my life, but that there would be such a love that they have experienced from me that they would love me in such a way that they would want to do nothing uh, to dishonor that, that they would want to live in response to that love. And when we are reminded that, that our citizenship here, right, is temporary. He says, in the time that your stay is here, that we're to conduct ourselves in reverent fear. I, when I was a student pastor, I used to, you know, we'd go to these big cabins, we'd rent a big cabin, and I would get the group together, and I would say, now, remember when we're here, uh, we, we don't need to break anything, and remember, you are a representative. I would tell them things like, uh, no pada. Y'all know what pada is, right? So like every youth trip, like some, some of y'all that have been in student ministry know what Pada is, because every student trip, like somebody falls in love. It's just how that works, right? And so, uh, so what we just want to understand is that you've got to leave room for the Holy Spirit. We sing that song, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. You need some gap in there, right? So we don't want to have any Pada. That's public display of affection. And we give them that, that speech, and then we'd say, hey, and when you're on this trip, we want you to understand that, that while you're here, you're a representative of our church, and you're a representative of our Lord, so don't break anything. Don't tear anything up, because we're going to be here just for a little while, and whatever you break, we're going to have to pay for it, and then you're going to have to pay for it. That's how that's going to work. I was on one youth trip, and this young man uh, was with us. I'd given him the Pada speech, and, and everybody was listening real good to that. Don't break anything. And this one young man comes out, and he is... Uh, obviously kind of upset in the moment, and he comes out, and he says, uh, he says, listen, something happened in my room. He said, we were playing, and all of a sudden, I hit the TV, and the TV's broken, and I don't know what to do, but we've got to fix it. And so, man, I was so proud. Some of you guys remember uh, that moment, right? He comes out, and we go in there, and when the TV's off, you can't see that it's broken. It's just like nothing's wrong with it, right? And I was so pleased with this young man because he had enough respect for the love that this church was showing him, enough respect for the people that were there to say, you know what, I, I've messed up, I've, 
I've, I've broken this TV. I've done this kind of thing. And we called. We got it all fixed. It was all a, a smooth kind of dynamic. But we'd say, listen, you're a representative of us when you're here because you're here. And, and Peter's writing, and he says, you're to walk in reverent fear to our great God during the temporary time that you're going to live on this earth. He, he said, this is where you've got to look. And he said, you're to conduct yourselves in that way. Now, we have a loving Father, right? And we live in reverent fear and love to a God who loves us, and we know, the first thing we know, and we see in this, that God is both a loving Father and an impartial judge. Right? He is a loving Father, and He is an impartial judge. Warren Wearsby said this, he said, as God's children, we need to be serious about sin and holy living. Our Heavenly Father is a holy and righteous Father, and He will not compromise with sin. He is merciful and forgiving, but He is also a loving disciplinarian who cannot permit His children to enjoy sin. After all, it was His sin that... It was sin... Excuse me. After all, it was sin that sent His Son to the cross. So a biblical fear of God recognizes how holy and how righteous and how just our God is. How much He hates sin. And there's a fear of His judgment on sin. And there is a fear of His judgment on sin even in the life of a believer. Right? Many of us, we have been lovingly disciplined by our parents. Anybody enjoy that? Like, I want to sign up for some more of that. Um, being disciplined in love is still a fearful and the reality is that all of us will stand and give an account of our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. And we should live our lives in this temporary time as citizens of this kingdom in a way that honors Him. Right? We're to take our citizenship in, in, on this earth seriously. Right? We are in an opportunity right now where we have the ability to vote. And many of you have done that. Right? We've, we've had the ability to, uh, to express the values of this kingdom. Uh, in, in the way that we, uh, in, of His kingdom, of, of this heavenly kingdom, in the way that we engage in this earthly kingdom. And so I encourage you to pray. I encourage you. There are clear biblical issues and things that are uh, in the surface of, of uh, the decisions that we make in this. And we pray. I encourage some of you, some of you may feel led to fast and pray. And we uh, seek the Lord and say, God, uh, we desire to see your kingdom uh, glorified here, we pray, we fast, we vote, but we trust in a sovereign God that is in control no matter what outcome of any situation that goes on in this earth. I can assure you that later this week, we have a sovereign God who is in heaven. It's not going to be wringing uh, His hands no matter what uh, the outcome of those uh, things are, and we trust in His sovereignty. And by the way, the way that we react as followers of Jesus Christ following those days and the way that we engage and the way that we do uh, has as much impact as anything that we are doing uh, in the mix. And so we live our lives, right, knowing that He is both a loving Father. He is an impartial judge. Verse 18, let's, let's keep going. He said in verse 18, He says, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers. Now He says, we were not saved or redeemed with perishable things. He says first that you're redeemed with something. And not only are you redeemed 
with something. You're redeemed from something. And he says that this thing that we're redeemed from is this feudal way of life that is uh, handed down to our forefathers. And I, I put an image of just a treadmill in the slides because that's what I think of when I think of futility, right? We're trying to get somewhere. And if you're on that treadmill, right, you're not going anywhere. Now, I could use some time on the treadmill, right? And there's some purposes that are in there. But, but what Peter's saying, he, he says, listen, all these things that, that we value in this world, all the things that we have such importance on, and he, and he refers to these things that we would think uh, really in our culture are of such value, right? Silver and gold. He said, you're not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold, things that are valuable maybe in our eyes uh, and, and things that we would pursue. And the reality is that before we have a relationship with Jesus, the things of this world, we're devoted to those things. The gods of this world, uh, money and success and whatever else that we want to fill in those blanks with. And we think, you know what, if I can just attain this, if I can just get this, then I'm going to be satisfied. And it's the lies of the enemy that says we'll find satisfaction in anything apart from a relationship with God, with a holy God. And apart from that relationship, we will not find satisfaction in anything. We won't find it. When you look at the marriage study that we're doing, the marriage study says that you've never been designed to find fulfillment in uh, your spouse. You've never been designed to be in uh, that situation and to find fulfillment uh, from somebody else in this world. That you uh, will find fulfillment only in relationship with the Father. And by the way, uh, marriage is not forever. That's what the study says. That Jesus says in, in eternity, in the resurrection, there'll be neither marriage you're giving in marriage and he says that what you're living for in this moment is greater than the things that you're looking at as you're walking through those things together that the things that you're fighting for the things that are there are representatives of the kingdom of god and the way that you interact with one another there's more at stake there's a, there's a, a marriage in light of eternity he says that we are living for something greater and he says, you're being redeemed from the futile things of this world that says you're going to find satisfaction in anything that's apart from Christ. And he says it's been handed down from generation to generation, things that have been uh, maybe uh, part of, of your family, things that are there. And he says, you've been redeemed from this futile way of life, whatever you would fill in that blank with. And he says, you've been redeemed from that with something precious. And so we live in reverent fear and love. We know that we have a loving Father who is an impartial judge. And we see this loving uh, Father and His impartial judgment and the fact that His mercy and His grace and His justice, we see it all intersect beautifully and intersect perfectly in the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's on that cross in verse 19. And he says, you've not been redeemed, redeemed with temporary things, with futile things, with silver and gold, with the most valuable things that you could think of in this world. But you have been redeemed, but with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. You have been redeemed and ransomed by His blood, the precious blood of Christ as a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the substitutionary, sinless Savior, right? That He atoned for us and it was His sacrifice. You know, we read of the shedding of blood and it takes us back to the Old Testament. It takes us back uh, to the sacrificial system. It takes us back uh, where the blood uh, was shed and where, where uh, blood was necessary for atonement. And often stated uh, in the Old Testament that these sacrifices were to be uh, without blemish. And all of this sacrificial system, uh, we were talking the other day, uh, I was talking to somebody this past week, and they were talking about where to read in the Scriptures. And we were talking about Leviticus, and we were talking about all of these different sacrificial systems, and, and how that only when we understand the, the gospel of Jesus Christ and His 
sacrifice on the cross of Christ. Does everything else make sense? And everything, the, the sacrificial system, the suffering servant that we read about in Isaiah, the Passover uh, that we read of, all of those things are fulfilled in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as God's sinless, spotless lamb. Right when John the Baptist uh, saw him, he said, Behold there, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus, the sinless, spotless lamb, perfect because of his perfect life, right? And it's in him, right? Through the cross of Christ. So when we think about this reverent fear and this love that we have for God, we recognize that it was through his precious blood that we have been redeemed. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, right? The greatest need that we have to be forgiven of our sin. And he says, it is in him that we have redemption through his blood, through his sacrifice, through the forgiveness of the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Chapter 2 and verse 13 of Ephesians says this, But now in Christ you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That we were separated from God. Doomed for eternity, right? Nothing that we could do. There's no way that we could live a good enough life. We could never live a life, right? Some people say, hey, you know what? My good, I hope, outweighs my bad. I want you to understand, Scripture says there is none righteous, not even one, that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that because of our sin, the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God in a place called hell. But for those of you who are in Christ, he says that in Christ, those who were formerly far off have been brought near by His blood. And we live in response to that love, to that sacrifice. I heard David Platt share a story uh, that I think was just a really neat illustration, and it's not perfect in uh, lining up with every uh, piece of the death of Christ, but he said that, that there was a uh, man whose uh, young daughter, she was 17, 18-year-old daughter, and she was kidnapped, and uh, she was taken by these kidnappers, and they'd written this uh, ransom letter for him, and they'd said, hey, uh, you know, if you uh, want to ever see your daughter alive again, then here's what it's going to cost you. And he said, really, it's going to cost you everything. He said, you're going to, he said, we want this amount of money. And so he takes his house and he, and he sells it. He takes everything uh, that he has because there's a tremendous value in his daughter. And he takes everything of value. He takes everything even up uh, to his wife's wedding ring and he sells all of those things. And he goes to meet uh, these kidnappers. And when he gets there, his daughter comes out uh, and she comes out. There's a group of kidnappers that are there. And she comes out and he takes all of these things and he places them there to exchange for and he takes her, she goes out and she gets all those things and she walks back to where the kidnappers are and in the midst of that, she gets back to there, locks arms with one of the kidnappers, looks around at him, laughing. He says, sucker. We're to live our lives in fear of saying that to our God. We are to live our lives in fear of making light the sacrifice that has been given for my sin. Scripture says, He became sin who knew no sin so that I might become the righteousness of God in Him. And we are to live our lives in fear of, of just making light of the depth of His love, right? When we understand and when we know the depth of His love, we can live our lives free from the bondage of sin. It, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. And when we, we don't... Uh, live our lives in just haphazard, we'll do whatever we want. 
Scripture says, shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? God forbid, right? How can we take light of His great love for us? And so we live in reverent fear and love. We live knowing in response to the sacrificial death of His Son. We live in reverent fear and love in all of His sovereign praying. Look at verse 20. Verse 20 says this, he says, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. Literally, this word just simply means he, uh, having been foreknown, that, that what we know in this, that we see God's great plan, we see the redemption plan of God, that, that the precious blood of Christ was shed uh, in our place, an atoning sacrifice for our sin. And we understand that it was not an afterthought, that it was not a last-minute plan, that before the foundation of the world, that God predetermined His plan to send His Son as our Savior. Second Timothy 1, verse 9 says, He has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Right? We have a holy calling that we would pursue in His life, not according to our works, right? not because of anything that we have done, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Look back at 1 Peter 1, verse 21. He says, Who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Our faith and hope are in Him, and it is secured by the resurrection. And we trade the futile things of this world, the pursuits of this world that we somehow believe will bring us happiness and bring us fulfillment. And, and at the cross of Christ, you say, you know what? I, I, I surrender everything to Him. I trade the futile ways of this world. And my hope is that I would pursue the Father's will. Look at verse 22. He says, Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Right? We've been saved by something, and we've been saved for something. He says, since you have an obedience to the truth, an obedience to the gospel, an obedience to, the, to the, the good news of the gospel, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. It's only in Christ that we can love this way. He says, you've been, you know, this sincere love of the brethren, and, and the word that's used there is this phileo love, it's this brotherly love. He said, you have that. But he said, there's something even greater. He said, we're to love like Jesus, we're to love as His people, as, as representatives of Him in this kingdom. Uh, scripture says the way that the world would know that you're my disciples, Jesus said the way that the world would know that is by your love for one another. And He said the love for one another is going to be different than the love of this world. The love of this, uh, the love's going to be different than those that are just good to those that are good to them. It's going to be different uh, from everything that this culture would see. And it's going to be radical, right? That there's this reverent fear that we have for our great and holy and powerful and mighty God, right? We, we look at all the characteristics of who God is, and our response is reverent fear, right? And all that He would love us in a way that would send His Son in, in all of the sacrifice of His Son. And this reverent fear, it produces radical love. It causes us to say, you know what? I, I'm willing to give everything, no matter what the cost for uh, following Him. I, I want to follow Him and, and allow Him to love through me. Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Right? And we see the life of a Jesus follower is not us living for Jesus, but Jesus living His life in and through us. And Peter writes here, and he says that, that we are to fervently love one another from the heart. See, it's reverent fear, but it's radical love that it produces in our life. Right? And we, I think about my relationship with my wife. I think about the way that she loves me, the way that she looks after me, the way that she comes alongside me, 
I think about the love that she has for me, right? And, and I've experienced that kind of love for her. And I want to live my life, right, in that kind of reverent fear that says, you know what, I want to live my life in a way that there is nothing that I might do that would cause her to feel like that her love for me is not precious. That, 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 that the way that I live my life would say to her, that it would not dishonor her love for me, that, that it would be in that kind of way. And Peter says, since you've been made pure by the gospel, since you, uh, in obedience, right, have been made pure, this act in the past, this, this trusting in Christ, it has present work that's taking place in your life. And this love for one another should be displayed. And we as followers of Jesus Christ, sometimes we can be critical instead of Christ-like. We can have all these things that just in our flesh that we get to, it's, it's so easy for us to fall into that. But he says we're to fervently love. And it's this agape kind of love. It's this picture of this sacrificial love. And he says that because you have a relationship with Jesus, that you're to be my representatives in this kingdom, and you're to love like Jesus. And then he says, here's how you're going to see this. He says, when you do this, he said, you've been born again. Look in verse 23, right? And I want to remind you this love. It's an act of the will. This is not some uh, flippant emotional kind of thing that says, hey, this person was good to me in this moment. Now I'm going to be good to them in this moment. This is an act of the will. This is a sacrificial love that's from the heart. And when scripture talks about the heart, it's the locus of everything about us, right? It's our, our, our mind, our emotion, our will. It's this love with, with everything. And he says, we're to love with that kind of love. Verse 23, he says, because you've been born again, not of a seed, which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring Word of God. We have been given a gift, right? Scripture says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And God has given us an incredible gift. And look, look at this gift. He says we've got the Word of God, that we've been born again into a living hope. We're to pursue uh, lives that are fixed on the hope of His return. We're to live our lives in light of one day recognizing that the righteous judge and our loving Father is returning. And we're going to live in light of that. He says we're to pursue holiness, and we're to have this reverent fear in those times. In verse 24, he says, For all flesh... It's like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off. Can I remind you that even in the best days that we're going to live a short time on this earth? He's told us that in the beginning. He said we're going to live our lives, we're going to conduct ourselves in fear during this temporary time that we live on this earth, during this time of our stay here, because the reality is that our life is going to be short. Scripture says that our life is but a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. We have a very limited time, and we have a tendency in our culture and in the society that we live in to invest all of our time and everything that we have on things that won't last, on the futile things of this world that have been handed down to us by our forefathers and that are so important to all, <coughs> excuse me, of the culture that we live in. We're going to live a short time here. And we need to live in a way that leaves something that will last. There is one thing that will stand forever. In verse 25, he says, the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. He says, you're going to live a short time on this earth. Our flesh, right, like grass and like the flower, it's going to fade, right? It's going to fall off. The life that we live is fading, right? We are not going to be here forever. And He is calling us something greater in light of, and in light of the great sacrifice and the great love of our holy God. He says that we would be people that would be people that would live according to the Word, that would love the Word, and that would leave the Word. Right? There is nothing greater, parents, that we could do in our lives than to leave the Word of God in uh, the hearts of our children, right? That we would 
live our lives right in a way that would say, this is what's valuable to us. This is what uh, we treasure. That we, we would live in that way. Because the reality is the only way that we'll see change in our culture, the only way that we'll see change uh, in, in, in the lives of people around us is that the Word of God might be planted into their lives. And it might be deeply planted into their lives. And the only way that that happens is when it is sown by the saints of God. And we are, are left, right, as, as exiles in a foreign land, citizens of a different kingdom, called to pursue holiness, called to, to, to fix our eyes on the hope that is to come, called to live our lives in reverent fear, right, of, of this reality of the greatness and the majesty of our God, recognizing that our lives will be futile if lived apart from loving relationship with the Father. Right, that our lives will be meaningless. That the very best things of this world that we might pursue, if we're doing it apart from His will, if we're doing it apart from obedience to Him, that it's going to be meaningless. That it's going to be futile. We are to love like Him. And I believe the Lord is saying to us that, that the things that our world holds on to with such, uh, such a grip, right? That they're futility, right? That it's meaningless apart from Christ. Maybe there's some of us here that need to turn loose of the things of this world, of the pursuit of, of the things of this world, and just surrender our lives to Christ and find joy and fulfillment and peace. We were not redeemed with perishable things, but with the precious blood of Christ. Because of that, we, and we stand in awe and of the greatness of our God. Stand in awe. We have a loving Father who is a righteous judge. We stand in awe knowing that we deserve the very wrath of God. And in God's justice, when someone had to pay, required a perfect sacrifice, the sinless, sinless Lamb of God. And His justice required that. And in His mercy, right, He poured out all of His wrath on Jesus. In my place. Man, I deserved it. But instead of giving me what I deserve, He gave Jesus what I deserve. And through the precious blood of Christ, and He gives me what Jesus deserves. And in light of that love, man, may we live our lives in reverential fear and love to our God. What a Savior. We're going to take communion here in just a few moments together. And we do that as the family of God. And we see that it was for believers, those who had been born again into the family of God. And before we do that, if you are a believer, we want to invite you to take part in that. And if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ, maybe you've been pursuing the things of this world. Maybe you have been chasing after things that you would say, you know what, everything about my life is futility. Everything that I've been walking through is meaningless. And the, the things that have been important to me, and, and I know that um, and I'm a sinner separated from a holy God. Maybe this morning you'd say, you know what, I, I know God's speaking to me today and I want to follow Him. I no longer want to pursue the things of this world. I want to surrender my life to Him that I might Walk in obedience to His plan. And I want to ask you just to bow your head and close your eyes for a moment. I'm going to give us all just a little time of reflection before we take 
communion together. But if that's you and you say, you know what, I've never repented of my sins. That's just simply a word that means a change of mind that results in a change of direction. That you say, you know what, I recognize the Spirit of God is convicting me and I recognize that the things that I'm pursuing and the things of this life are meaningless. And I no longer want to go my own way, but I believe in the finished work of the cross that Jesus died in my place. Romans 10 says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised Him from the dead, that we could be saved. Scripture says that whoever would call upon the name of the Lord could be saved. And maybe you're here and you say, you know what, I've never trusted Jesus, but I want to, just I believe the gospel this morning. I surrender my life to Him. You can call on His name. There's nothing magic about the words of a prayer, but condition of our heart would be that we would turn from our sin and just in surrender in all of His glory and His grace in light of the precious blood of Christ that was shed in your place. You respond in surrender and you call on His name even this morning. You can do that even as we speak. Maybe you're here and you say, you know what, I we, we read in 1 Corinthians 11, we see just this command that we might examine ourselves as we approach the Lord's table. And here in a few moments, we approach this table with, re- with reverent fear in light of the sacrifice of Christ. And verse 28 of 1 Corinthians 11 says, But a man must examine himself, and in doing so, he is to eat of the bread and drink of this cup. And I would just invite you to examine yourself and say, is there anything that's hindering my relationship with God in light of His great love, in light of the fact that He is a loving Father and He is a righteous judge, in light of the sacrifice of His Son, is there anything in my life? Are there any sin that I need to confess to Him? And I want to give you a moment, even in, in these moments, just to confess to Him. Scripture says if we confess our sin in 1 John 1, nine, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and it's our desire i know uh, my mom used to say hey it's supper time and when you come to the table right you wash your hands and that we might come clean and we don't come clean because of anything that we've done but we can approach uh, this table the lord's table we can approach it uh, clean and righteous because of uh, the righteousness of christ that is credited to our account but we are uh, to examine ourselves and we're to confess um, in those areas so is there anything that is hindering your relationship with God. And I want to invite you just to take a moment and confess those things even in these moments. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll take communion together as His family. Father, we are thankful, Lord, that You that You loved us that You demonstrated Your love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Lord, that Christ died for us. God, I pray You forgive me, God, for the way that God, sometimes I chase the things of this world, Lord, and that my eyes can get fixed on different things, Lord, and unimportant things, futile things, instead of on Your grace, Lord. And I pray, God, that You forgive us. God, for those areas, Lord, that we all fail You, Father. But Lord, we are thankful. Lord, that You forgive us, Lord, that You cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Lord. That You convict us in the power of Your Spirit, Lord, and You allow us to see and know, God, the the things that we need to turn from. Lord, we pray that You would help us to not only 
just hear those things, Lord, but that we might walk in obedience, Lord, and we might do it just in response to your great love. Lord, as we take communion together as your family today, Lord, we remember the great sacrifice that was poured out on our behalf, God, your body that was beaten, your blood that was shed. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, for your for your blood. Precious blood of a lamb that redeemed us from the futility of this world and it gave us relationship with the Father. And Lord, may we live in light of that love. In Jesus' name, amen. As we take communion together, I want to invite you, if you have not received one of these packets, um, you can raise your hand and we'll make sure to get one of those to you. But you'll see a, a top layer that will peel off and uh, give access to the bread and then the, the bottom layer of the, the little covering will peel back for the juice. And if you'll take the bread, I want to read just a couple of verses from 1 Corinthians 11. Beginning in verse 23. Give you just a moment to take that out. You'll take the bread. He says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which He was betrayed took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body with this in remembrance me. Let us see. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us drink. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. We look within and we see just our desperate need of His grace and His love. We look back and we see the cross and the sacrificial death of Jesus in our place and we look ahead with our hope fixed on His return where one day all things will be made new. And We continue to do that. We continue to proclaim His death until He comes through these gatherings like this as we take communion together, we also do that as we proclaim the Word of God and we demonstrate and share His love uh, with a world that is in desperate need of His grace. And so I want to encourage you uh, to do that. And, and may we reflect and worship as we close uh, today uh, just at the Father's love for us. And what a love um, and that, that is greater than anything we could ever imagine. And may we respond uh, in reverent fear. The band comes and we sing. We're just going to stand and worship together as we close. And it's my prayer that we would leave this place in worship to our great God in, in reverence and in awe of His love for us.